Hello, this is Stephanie. And this is Brian. Welcome to our podcast, The Making and the Remaking of a Codependent Mind. So this week, we're going to dive into a new relationship-related topic, um, which is along the lines of dependency and relating that or contrasting that to uh, codependency or interdependency. So there's three terms. They all sound very similar, Mm -hmm. and sometimes it's a little difficult when people are talking about their relationship experiences to know which of the ones it falls under dependency, codependency, and interdependency. So let's start with saying or recognizing that we are all born into a state of dependency as infants and small children. And that's how we come out. Right, yeah. And then the idea is that during our infancy and childhood, we are given the tools so that we emerge into adulthood capable of being independent achieving independence yeah so like we've talked about before we're born powerless and uh and then hopefully we start to feel power as we gain agency as we're taught by some t- kind of a caretaker taught and modeled modeled that also, behavior, right, both. behavior probably even more so mm-hmm. and so one of the things that we're taught or or modeled is how to emotionally self-regulate so we did some reading as to how that happens One thing that's important is that the infant and the child has a caretaker, at least one, hopefully many, that provides reliable and sensitive responses to their emotional states over time. And so what that demonstrates to babies and to children is that emotional distress is manageable. Initially, the caretaker does a lot of that managing for the the baby, but then as Mm -hmm. as the child grows, because... They have this sense that emotional distress is manageable. They start to manage their own emotional distress, both with the help of the caretaker, but also by strategies that were modeled by the caretaker or developed with the caretaker. Mm-hmm. Such that even when the, the caretakers aren't there, they start to be able to manage their own emotional states. So it's a combination of that. It's a combination of the parent calming them down and helping them regulate their these these overwhelming emotions mixed with seeing the parent handle this themselves. Themselves be calm and self-soothe in situations as well. Yeah, so something happens that it makes the, the parent angry or annoyed or whatever. How do they handle that? So in my case... I had that modeled very poorly because of, as we talked about, my dad not handling his emotions very well and kind of exploding in anger at a lot of things. And this happened, I assume, all the way back to when I was born. So, you know, of course, I can only remember starting at a certain age. But when we're talking about here is these very, very early, basically from birth until about age two. So what was modeled to you was that emotions were unmanageable and scary. Yeah. Right. A lot of it is this observation, seeing these things that, oh, is that is that how I'm supposed to handle? I'm supposed to like kind of freak out. But then that was scary, so I didn't want to do that. And so instead, I kind of just wind up, wound up avoiding my emotions, which is what I... So I, I think I started doing that right from the start, pretty much. To move from the state of dependency to independence is important that children and babies learned that emotions, again, are not scary, that they're manageable, the strategies for dealing with them, such that they are able to eventually self-regulate their emotions, not by, as, as you end up doing, suppressing them or avoiding them or being confused or frightened by them, but recognizing them, seeing them as something that they could address themselves. Also, babies and children need 
to learn how to self-care, to feel that not just their emotional life is manageable, but also the world in general is manageable. Right. And to start to develop the skills and the capabilities to navigate that world. Yeah. And also throughout this, are other people reliable? Can you trust other people? Mm -hmm. So another thing that happened when this kind of process was interrupted for me was that other people were kind of unreliable too at the same time, right? So my mom didn't protect me from my dad's anger. So can I rely on her? Can I rely on anyone? And then you got into this abusive friendship that we've talked a lot yeah. about that lasted five years that further confirmed that the world was unmanageable, mm -hmm. <laughs> that emotions were scary, that people were unreliable. So yes, this process can get interrupted as it did for you, for many people, um, by abuse, by neglect, by mistreatment, by a chaotic domestic environment, and also by being enlisted by the adults who are supposed to be taking care of you to take care of them. Right. And this we'll get into this topic, but it's it's as though I felt as I had to manage help manage my dad's emotions. But in effect I wasn't really doing that. I was more just reacting to it and taking it on as my own emotions and turning it into fear. So we're going to talk about some of the things that happen when that process of learning how to self-regulate and how to self-care is interrupted. And one of the things is dependency, lifelong dependency. And that is actually in the Diagnostic Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders. Mm -hmm. <laughs> this is the, the book that governs the profession of psychiatry. And we talked about how codependency is not officially recognized as a personality disorder in the DSM. Mm -hmm. But dependent personality disorder is in there. And so dependent personality disorder is kind of made up by uh, the person feeling incapable of taking care of themselves or even making decisions for themselves. For example, if this person experiences distress of some kind rather than trying to sit with that and figure out how to deal with it, they might just immediately go to another person. Um, say if they're a partner or if they're parents, whoever it is, they need someone to help them manage their emotions and just kind of become dependent on other people and not trusting their own ability, basically, to, to self-regulate. Or self-care. Mm -hmm. And, you know, so this can interrupt and damage people's interpersonal relationships because dependent people may feel they are nothing without their partners, that there's yeah. no way they could be happy on their own, or that their life would have no meaning without a partner or their partner. There's often a very almost constant need for reassurance, almost constant fear of rejection. Yeah, and this may s sound familiar for anyone that's done any research on attachment theory. Um, which we'll probably talk about a little bit in another episode. But this is a form of attachment, like an, this this kind of anxiety over your relationships. Anxious attachment. Yes, anxious attachment. <laughs> Where it's just like, I, I need this relationship to work or else I'm doomed. I can't survive on my own. So it's almost yeah. this permanent childlike state where again, they feel powerless. And so they attach themselves to another person or to people and feel that they need those people to take care of them and to protect them and to validate them. And one of the reasons we're bringing this up because it seems like not infrequently when people talk about being codependent or like I'm codependent on my friend or I'm codependent oh, with right. my partner is that they may be talking about actually being dependent. Yeah, right. <laughs> that they had this kind of anxious attachment mm -hmm. with their partner and sometimes that goes both ways. So yeah, yeah, exactly, right. There's two people. So th so then I think that's when people 
confuse the term like, oh codependent because they're both dependent on each other <laughs> yeah so maybe with this long-term friendship that you had that we talked that we've talked about in other episodes where you both kind of isolated together mm-hmm. it was a very close relationship but there was no one else involved there was a uh, you lived together you socialized together yeah mm-hmm. <laughs> um you were kind of almost dependent on each other in that you relied exclusively on each other for kind of social and emotional needs and didn't feel that you could either one of you could kind of survive outside the friendship in that in that way mm-hmm. so that was more kind of dependency rather than codependency yeah i guess so i mean cuz yeah in a lot of ways my codependent behaviors didn't necessarily show up as much in that because they weren't just triggered really they activated, as much right? yeah activated right but there is important key differences between codependency and dependency. But they seem to have very similar roots, as all of this stuff does. Right. As well as narcissism. Right. Again, we're talking about a situation where we're all born in a state of dependency. We all need to learn. We all need it for it to be modeled how to self-regulate, how to deal with our emotions, how to self-care, how to take care of ourselves. And for many people, that's interrupted by abuse, by neglect, by chaos. So it can put you into this almost permanent state of dependency, but you can also respond by developing codependent habits or narcissistic habits. And we've talked in a number of episodes how those two things seem to be mirrors of each other or two sides of the same coin. Mm -hmm. So let's look at that a little more specifically. For instance, if a child is consistently made to feel wrong or defect, which is shame. So if a child is consistently shamed, we can see the codependent response as one of extreme compliance. So this is the people-pleasing, caretaking, the excusing other people's bad behavior. Constantly apologizing, whatever, whatever, however it shows up. I'm assuming that everyone else has more power than me, and I'm just going to give that power to them right out of the gate. So then you wouldn't feel wrong and defective, and then mm-hmm. you wouldn't feel shame, and then they would give you the love and attention and safety that you needed. So you got that sense of being wrong and defective, both from your father's angry outbursts, and then that was really reinforced over this this friendship. Yeah. And then beyond, of course, because once these once behaviors were installed, mm-hmm. and I just used them all people. the time. So if I came across good, healthy people that didn't take advantage of me, fine. Still not great a way to approach relationships, but they didn't capitalize on it. But then, yeah, come across people that did capitalize on it. Then those behaviors were activated and reinforced even more. Yeah. So that's the so we have codependent response, which is extreme compliance in order to avoid shame and, and get acceptance. Mm-hmm. And then we have the narcissistic response to being made to feel wrong or defective is extreme defiance. Okay. <laughs> so they're never wrong. They're never blameworthy. Other people are always at fault. Yeah, it's interesting because it could happen from the exact same trauma. Right. And two people choose a completely different route. Well, this feels better to this person that, that to to just, I'm going to be all powerful. Right. I'm, I'm going to assume that I have all the power in every situation that I come across, every person that I encounter. I feel entitled to it. So shame is one of these difficult emotions. And when you're made to feel it as a child, when you don't know how to manage your emotions... When you've given no models to self-regulate, you could end up either in this extreme, com- extremely compliant mode or this extremely defiant mode. There's also fear, which is a very difficult emotion, especially obviously when you're when you are a child and you feel powerless. So if you're made to feel fear as a child, you could have the codependent response, which is really kind of to shrink yourself, yeah, to try to make yourself as small as possible. Mm-hmm. So deny your own wants and needs. Yeah, try not even to have them. It's a sense of very low self. 
esteem. Mm -hmm. You're just shrinking yourself into this tiny little ball. And then you have the narcissistic response, which is to inflate oneself. Mm -hmm. Grandiosity. You mentioned entitlement, lack of empathy, like just to make yourself feel and appear so large. Yeah, that that everyone's just going to believe it. You want, you need everyone to believe it. So in both cases here, there is dependency. The codependent person is dependent on the fact that these people are going to, they are going to love me, or in some cases, just not abuse me, basically. Um, as long as I preempt everything with with this kind of caretaking and this kind of people-pleasing, I just need people to like me or or at least not, not like me. And then the narcissist is, I just need this constant supply of validation that I'm correct, that I am all-powerful, that I am the most interesting or the greatest person <laughs> that I know. I don't know if that's often talked about, that it does seem that narcissists are a version of dependent personalities yeah. because they are so dependent on the validation from others. Mm-hmm. In- also very fragile, just just like the codependence. Very, it's, it's very weak. It's a very weak foundation. So they need this validation for their self-esteem and often will do really anything to get it. They'll violate any social norm to get it. Dang. And you witness that consistently. Right. I'm thinking, for instance, of the stories you would tell when you and R would be out in social situations Mm -hmm. and maybe she wouldn't be getting that validation because maybe the people around her and you didn't think she was the most interesting, attractive, amusing person in the room. Yeah, so then, and it was very predictable to me, of course. I I knew that she had to take that out somehow. She had to, to relieve that pressure somehow and she couldn't do it in the moment. She couldn't do it at the gatherings. Because that would that would mess with her image. So she saved it until we were alone. We would go home and then, yeah, she would unload on me. And then when she was done, she felt better. <laughs> right. Yeah. Not only did she feel better, she usually followed it with some kind of like, oh, we're such a great team. Oh, oh, we're such a great couple or something. Like it, it's, it was just interesting. Like she would just kind of deny the fact that she just abused me. <laughs> right. So she would, you know, be insulting and belittling to you. She would essentially tear you down. Yeah. And then... When she did that, that would restore her own sense of superiority and power. Yeah. So she was dependent on being <laughs> on you mm-hmm. and being able to belittle you in order to, to feel herself big and important. Yeah. And I was going to take it. I mean, because I consistently did. So she knew mm-hmm. that was a reliable outlet. And so you were a great partner. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and you, you know, you had similar feedback from jay as well with jay it was it was a similar kind of thing where where it's like oh you're the only one who's ever loved me sort of thing like she just couldn't believe that she finally found someone that bought this whole image of her i supported everything that so many other people didn't and so yeah she would regularly say a similar thing like we're such a great couple like but then also kind of used very isolating language too we're outcasts we we are outcasts and good thing we have each other sort of stuff Right, because other people would not respond to her as she thought she was entitled to, again, that, that she was the most interesting, <laughs> appealing person in the room. Mm-hmm. And the fact that she would get that feedback from you, or at the very least, she could behave in any way she wanted, yeah. and you would still treat her as a, an important person in your life. It was like an endless supply, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, eventually, I think that becomes not enough for the narcissist. This endless, too easy supply, maybe? Yeah, I think that could very well be the case. It becomes too easy and they need more supply. And you certainly saw that with Jay. I mean, you Mm -hmm. knew for a fact that Jay cheated on you. Yeah, right. You don't know whether that's the case of of, with R or not. But eventually she decided that even this, all this validation you were giving wasn't enough. And Mm -hmm. and she 
did the discard and found another source of supply very yeah. quickly. Yeah, and, 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 and I do think that's probably a given in, in codependent narcissistic relationships because the narcissist does need supply. I mean, they're always looking for supply in other people. And so like a drug. Right, they're dependent. Of, they're dependent <laughs> that's on the it. dependency, right. And, and, they, and, and it's never going to be enough, mm-hmm. right? Probably the more they get, the more they need too. So that's the kind of narcissistic dependency. And then as you're saying, there's also the codependent subsection of dependency. Yeah. And sometimes people talk about codependency as being dependent on the caretaking dynamic for mm-hmm. their own sense of self-worth. Sure. So they have to be the one that everyone comes to. They have to be the one that takes care of people and they and they start to do that even to their own detriment because the, the, they have no sense of self outside of that. That wasn't really your version as no. we've talked about throughout this podcast. It was more that your dependency was kind of you couldn't manage your own emotions. So really other people's emotions determined your own emotional state. Yeah, and we've talked about how I thought maybe I was managing other people's emotions, but it was really more kind of indirectly by default because I was taking on their emotions and mm-hmm. mirroring everything and then trying to appease them. You know, I wasn't like actually caretaking, really. I was just someone that was safe for them to unload on. It was compliance, right? Yeah. It was more than caretaking. Mm-hmm. Although you did try to, to, I mean, it was caretaking in the sense that you tried to manage their environment. Yeah, sure. Their, their, even their social environment, their domestic environment, so nothing would set them off. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And even physical, whatever, you know, just whatever they needed. And you took care of their environment and their social situations and their friends because you didn't know how to self-care as well. Mm-hmm. Like you didn't know, essentially, you didn't know how to keep yourself safe. So as I was saying, if someone treated you well, terrific. Yeah. But if someone treated you badly, there was nothing you could do. Right. Except, again, around the edges <laughs> and trying to make sure that they felt as safe and comfortable as they mm-hmm. could in, so that they would not abuse you. Yeah, so I would be safe by default mm-hmm. uh, through them. As long as they were safe or they were comfortable, then hopefully I would be too. So this is what is childlike about this state of dependency as well, that you can't keep yourself safe by removing yourself from the situation, by setting up boundaries, by not getting in relationships with difficult people, so that your only strategy are these codependent strategies. Yeah. You're dependent on other people's goodwill or not. Yeah, and then, and a couple of times I got lucky. Well, one time I got extremely lucky. That's me? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so then what is interdependence? Because it still has that word in it, dependence. Right, right. <laughs> so let's talk a little bit about that. Yeah, so this is kind of where you want to be. Dependency, once again, is not just inherently bad because we as a species depend on each other. So there is healthy versions of dependency. And interdependence really is that healthy version. Because we are an interdependent species. We share the same planet. We share the same social and emotional spaces. And we really need each other. We're pack animals. We need each other to live happy and fulfilling lives. So the solution is not necessarily to retreat into this extreme independence, you know, mm-hmm. the quotation, no man is an island. We have this shared fate as a species. Yeah. So the independence is is something that you hopefully learn enough of to where you can l- know how to regulate your own emotions, that you can just be strong on your own, but you're not going to ever be completely on your own because sh- it, that's not helpful. And when we form intimate relationships, whether those are close friendships or romantic partners, that sense of interdependence or shared fate gets heightened, mm-hmm. obviously. 
Yeah. You share often the domestic space. You share financial resources. Your emotional life is much more closely connected. So when it comes to these intimate relationships, there's kind of like a shared fate between the two people. So each person kind of needs the other person to help each other to get to this shared goal. But in order to have a shared fate, this is kind of a callback to what we talked about when we bought, when we talked about boundaries, mm-hmm. is there has to be at least two individuals yes. <laughs> that come together to share that fate. And it has to be a choice. This is what is distinguishing interdependence from dependence, is that there are two equal partners that choose to come together and share their fate. So this is a negotiated connection. Um, And it's a balanced connection. Yes. It doesn't have to be always tit for tat, but there has to be a balance and a recognition, again, that there are two people in this shared fate. And both of those people need to be accommodated and both of these people need to be contributing. And critically, and I think this is one thing that people struggle with, is each person is responsible ultimately for themselves and their own feelings, even with a shared fate. Right. Each person is ultimately responsible for themselves and their own feelings. Yeah, it makes me think of times where where I was resentful because someone made me feel something, mm-hmm. right? But really, what I'm feeling is my response. So someone could do something, and it could be good or bad, but my response is what I'm responsible for. And let's talk a little bit more about this, being responsible for your own feelings, even while being connected and interdependent in many other ways. And I have an example that we could kind of talk through, and that would be, say, um, through texting. I think texting can cause a lot of problems. Yeah, right. In intimate relationships. Yay. <laughs> um, so may- maybe we have one person who is very responsive over text, and then one person who gets a lot of texts and then maybe can often wait hours or, or days to respond to a text. So the person who is not getting a text response as quickly as as they perhaps would like. You might have a person struggling with dependency respond in a very anxious and fearful way and convey that fear, anxiety to their partner. And, you know, I need you to text me back when I text you because it makes me afraid and I have, and they might have some trauma triggers and they expect their partner to respond to those feelings of fear and anxiety by changing their behavior and and texting them back as quickly as possible. So that would be the kind of the dependent response. Sure. And then you actually experience the narcissistic response. Right. It, it Like all this stuff, it's kind of similar in a way. With Jay, she was very anxious if I didn't respond immediately. But I don't know if it's anxious. She was well, pissed. <laughs> yes, I know. Well, that that's what her reaction was. So rather than like, you know, I'm, I'm a- this makes me anxious that you're not responding to my text immediately. It's basically shouting, text shouting, or shouting at me later when I get home that I didn't respond immediately. Really, like I, she wanted me to respond within seconds. It didn't matter what I was doing. So there was no negotiation there at all. It was, you need to respond to my texts immediately. I don't care what you're doing. You need to respond to these texts immediately. And I'm going to get extremely upset if you don't. Yeah, so we'd have the dependent response as being kind of anxious and fearful, and then we'd have the narcissistic response as being aggressive and entitled mm-hmm. yeah. to response. And then as a codependent, if you're, if you're the codependent partner to either of those, what would you do? Well, I'm just basically complying. I'm, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> I'm, I'm mirroring whatever it is, right? So yeah, if there's a person getting angry at me, okay, whoa, I, I've got to make sure to do this then. Yeah, I need to change my behavior mm-hmm. in response to 
her emotions. Yeah. And that may have happened as well if you were in a relationship with a dependent personality. Is yeah. You would respond to their anxiety and their fear by sure. complying, immediately texting by. Right. So like a more positive way of dealing with it that reflects interdependence mm-hmm. rather than codependency or narcissistic dependency or dependency. Say, say I'm the partner that has some anxiety for whatever reason. I am kind of a worrier by nature and by upbringing. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe I, I get somewhat anxious when I don't hear back from you, say for a couple hours. I could certainly communicate that to you. I could recognize that this is my issue not your issue. But I might ask for help. I might say, listen, this kind of makes me anxious when I don't hear from you a couple hours after I text you. Could you maybe set your phone to indicate that you're unavailable? Or if you're going to be going into a situation where you're not going to be able to text me for a few hours, could you let me know in advance? And if I ask respectfully, again, that's a request. I'm not setting a bound. I can't set boundaries for you. I'm requesting that you that you behave that way and that you kind of help me manage my emotions. And you might say, sure, I'll try to do that. Mm-hmm. But really the absolute ideal is that I find a way to manage that emotion myself. Because even in that situation, that means that I'm only going to be able to be in relationships with people who are immediately responsive right, right. <laughs> to my texts. Yeah. And I can't ask everyone in my life to be constantly letting me know right. when they can't text me back, right? I but mean, it's a negotiation and it's fair mm-hmm. for you to communicate that. It's fine for me to make that request. And yeah. so, and, and also it's it's fine for me to, to ask for help sometimes when I'm having difficulty managing my emotions. Mm-hmm. But ultimately, th- those emotions are my responsibility. And the consequences of those emotions fall on me, not on the people in my life. So not everyone in my life needs to change their texting behavior because I can't handle not being replied to immediately. Yeah. Or I'm going to have very few people in my life, mm-hmm. which you know kind of actually happened, say, with Jay, right? Because there right. was... She would drive people off all the time yeah, because right. they would not comply to her behavior demands. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I mean, this is really, that's a great example of how interdependence can work. I mean, this is, we're responsible for our own feelings. We can negotiate ways to meet in the middle if one of us needs a little more mm-hmm. emotional management. Another term for it would be emotional co-regulation, which is a whole other topic that I think we can spend probably an episode on. I think we will. Yeah. So that's kind of an example of being people being responsible for their own feelings rather than putting that responsibility on other people. And I think another reason why some people struggle with that, like, why am I only responsible for my feelings? Like, what if someone hurts my feelings? Oh, sure. Yeah. Shouldn't they do things to repair and apologize? They should sometimes. And I think the sometimes comes in when we need to recognize the difference between being hurt by someone's behavior and hurtful behavior. Yeah, right. Again, we are all responsible for our own behavior, not other people's feelings. That's the distinction. So for instance, if you break up with someone, that's going to hurt them usually. But that is not hurtful behavior. You're not responsible for the fact that they feel a sense of hurt and loss. Mm -hmm. You can empathize with them, but your behavior was not hurtful behavior simply because they were hurt by it. So hurtful behavior would be something like insulting and belittling someone. Mm -hmm. That is hurtful behavior. And that is hurtful behavior even if the person isn't actually hurt by it. For instance, Jay said some insulting and belittling things about me to you, Mm -hmm. which you helpfully passed on. (laughs) They didn't hurt me because I don't care what Jay thinks about me. Right. But it was certainly indicative of the kind of person that she is in that she engages in hurtful behavior, even if it doesn't hurt someone else. Yeah, 
Right. But we can all sometimes engage in hurtful behavior that does hurt other people. And then, yes, we are responsible for acknowledging, apologizing, and repairing because of our behavior. Yeah, I mean, a good example would be the, the headdress incident that we talked about in, mm-hmm. in the second season. Once I finally owned up to the fact that this was hurtful behavior, I did what I could to make amends for that. Yeah, I think that's important for yourself as much as it is as it is for the other people involved in this hurtful behavior is acknowledging that it was hurtful behavior first. If you can't do that, then the whole thing is moot. <laughs> so it's not enough just to be hurt by something. So it's not enough to say, well, well you didn't, you don't, when you don't text me back, it makes me feel anxious and afraid and hurt like yeah. you don't care about me. Those feelings aren't evidence that what the other person is doing is hurtful behavior. Those feelings may be, again, false signals that arise from past trauma. And you can certainly, as we're saying, ask a partner to help you manage or understand those feelings. But you can't make those feelings the other person's responsibility. If you are involved with someone who consistently does behavior that is hurtful, not just to you, but to anybody, Mm -hmm. it's dismissive, it's belittling, it's insulting, it's aggressive, then they should be asked to be accountable for that behavior. Yeah, regardless I mean, of the feelings that it causes or doesn't cause in the people around them. Yeah, in your in your example, you may reach out to someone and say, oh, that, that makes me anxious when you don't text me back. And the other person responds with, by belittling you, now they are doing hurtful behavior. Yes. They can make a choice to, to do it, say, okay, yes, I'll make an effort to text you back more. Or not say, well, I'm sorry, I just can't, I, that sometimes I'm just not going to be able to do it. Or yeah, you could say, what's your problem? <laughs> Why do you need that? What are you, weak? Right. Then that's hurtful behavior. (laughs) (laughs) So that's interdependence. When each person feels capable of caring for themselves and emotionally self-regulating, but they choose to come together, pool their resources, and share their fates while maintaining still that sense of an ability, if needed, to self-care and to self-regulate. Yeah, they're making a choice. You're you're always making a choice Mm -hmm. to negotiate this bond and and it's so much stronger when you're doing that rather than just being dragged along like a codependent person would be kind of powerless or a dependent person where i'm just i'm just expecting this person to take care of me and if they disappear then i'm up a creek Mm -hmm. (laughs) so i think next time we'll take up this this issue or expand on the question of co-regulation and regulations of emotions because it is really kind of at the heart of a lot of emotional tension i think in a lot of relationships yeah and and sources of resentment and and we may even touch a little on this attachment theory because it kind of relates a little Mm -hmm. bit to emotional co-regulation so we'll hope you join us for that episode you can find us as always on instagram and facebook and tiktok at a codependent mind our email is codependentmind at gmail.com